you are our Father. Thank you gathered us together this morning to worship you, to be filled with your spirit, to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would come now and be present to us. Fill us with your spirit and guide our minds and our hearts to you. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So someone said that second only to suffering, waiting might be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality that we will ever encounter. Waiting. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't like suffering, and I can't stand waiting. When was the last time you were sitting out on 98 during the summer, stuck in the heat, stuck in the heavy traffic, and you were just thinking, this is a blast? No, I don't, I don't think so. No one enjoys waiting. Because waiting, is, it's uncomfortable, right? And waiting is uncomfortable because in that space, we, we have to sit with ourselves. And we might start thinking. And we might start feeling something. And, oh, gosh, forget that. I'm going to go look at my phone. Get on Facebook or Instagram and escape. Waiting is uncomfortable. But during Advent, we're given an opportunity to see waiting from a different angle. We're invited to see waiting actually is a good thing. During Advent, God calls us to learn to patiently wait for the return of Jesus Christ. This theme of patiently waiting this morning we take from the letter of James, where he exhorts his readers, in the midst of being marginalized and persecuted, to be patient for the Lord's return, when he will bring justice and renew the world. So to consider our theme, let's, theme, let's uh, first simply ask, what is patiently waiting? So waiting is difficult, and whether it's uh, for a spouse to return from deployment or for your business to pick up, but patiently waiting, that is even harder, I would suggest to you this morning, because it demands that we wait in a certain way. Now when I wait, I don't know about you guys, when I wait, I kind of want to grumble about it. I want to complain that I have to wait. I want to check out. Maybe play a game, get on my iPhone. Waiting is a thing to get through, right? Oh, but patiently waiting. That, we actually have to work on something. That, that is purposeful. It's a space for God to do something in our lives. You see, patience is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a virtue. And it's not something that comes easily to us. You see, uh, the connection here is that James, the word that he used for patience, is the same word that Paul uses in that famous passage from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And this is how theologian Chris Wright talks about patience. It's the ability to endure for a long time whatever opposition and suffering may come our way, and to show perseverance without wanting retaliation or revenge. It's also the ability to put up with the weakness and foibles of others and show forbearance towards them without getting quickly irritated or angry enough to want to fight back. Well, that sounds difficult. Waiting with patience grows in us the virtue of patience and helps us grow in long-suffering contentment. So that's what patient waiting is. It's waiting and growing and cultivating of the virtue of patience but what does it look like? Let me suggest to you that it's a fine balance between preparing and resting. 
So I have a two-month-old, and she's at present probably out there. And we spent a lot of time waiting for this baby to arrive. Now, in this waiting, we didn't just sit around and say, all right, the baby's going to come. Now we'll just hang out. No, we prepared. We did lots of things. We prepared the house. I cooked, like, for a whole week, slow-cooked meat so I'd have, like, two months of meals. I prepared. I worked hard. We worked hard. Went to classes. Went to the hospital. We prepared and we rested. There was this, this anticipation and this preparation. That's a good example of waiting, what patiently waiting looks like. It looks like some work, some, some purposefulness. But the best example of patiently waiting is actually God himself. Now, this might surprise you. When people read the Old Testament, it's easy to read passages about God's anger or wrath or punishment and think, man, this guy's kind of harsh. But the reason we see this is we're, we're looking at a very small picture. We, and if we look at the bigger picture of, of, of God in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God hates sin, but he is also astoundingly patient with his creatures. This Ironically, as we look at the wrath of God, we actually see the patience of God. This is Chris Wright. This is how he says it. Often God's judgment fell only after many years of warnings and appeals through prophet after prophet. In fact, God was more patient than prophets. In fact, some of these prophets themselves marveled at the patience of God in the face of Israel's rebellion. God's patiently waiting for his creatures to return to him, but he isn't passive in his waiting. God's not just sitting up there on the throne saying, all right, guys, when you figure it out, come to me. No. You could almost say that the whole salvation story is his active patience and forbearance as he brings about our salvation. He created a covenant with Abraham and Israel to bless the world and to bring salvation to the nations. He orchestrated Israel's rescue from Egypt and established a new way of life as God's people. There ensued a long, patient history of Israel's rebellion against God and God calling them back again and again to repentance. Until finally, Jesus, the Messiah, is born and brings the kingdom of God to bear. The whole narrative of salvation is a, is a one long story of God's infinite patience. And he isn't a pushover about it, friends. He isn't just going to sit up there and wait for you to come. He comes for you. He comes for all of us. His patience leads him to save humanity from death and sin. God is perfectly patient. We, on the other hand, we struggle to wait and God knows that we struggle to be patient in our waiting. <coughs> but why? Why do we struggle to be patient? Why do we struggle to wait? Well, we struggle to be patient because that's a gift of the Holy Spirit that actually has to be given to us. We struggle to wait, I would propose to you this morning, because we are anxious. I hope your anxiety meters have come up a little bit by me just saying the word anxious. We're all a little anxious about something, aren't we? We live, you might say, in an age of anxiety. But what's behind that anxiety for us? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's the desire to be in control. There's a lot of things behind our anxiety, but let me just focus on two things, a doubt and a desire. Now, the doubt is, if we're honest, maybe we, we sometimes are wondering if God's really good, if he really loves us. 
Maybe we wonder some days, does he exist in all of this, in this whole mess of my life? And then there's the desire. We desire to be in control. We desire to be king. Let's just look at these two things one at a time. So to consider the first, we look to John the Baptist in our passage from Matthew. Now, I find it personally encouraging that the great prophet John the Baptist was struggling to wait. He was waiting. In our passage from John, we see he is in prison, and he sends one of these disciples, one of his disciples to Jesus and say, hey, are you the real thing, or do we got to wait for another one? John was waiting, and he began to doubt whether Jesus was who he said he was. Now, doubt is just simply an aspect of human life. And it's definitely one of the reasons why we struggle to wait. Especially, friends, when we're suffering or in some real difficult circumstances. Friends, waiting is never this abstract thing. Waiting occurs in our day-to-day existence, and sometimes we're just hanging on the edge of the knife, feeling like all of life is just is, is going to fall apart, and we're just waiting one. Can we wait one more day? Can we hold on for another second? Have you ever been there? Have you been in a moment of waiting like that? I have. We all have. And in these moments, friends, it is so easy to doubt God. It's okay to admit. It's so easy to doubt his goodness, to doubt his love, and that doubt can gnaw on us. Waiting, especially in suffering, is hard because it can reveal our doubts. Waiting is also hard because it reveals our anxiety and our desire to be in control. And to see this, we turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Here, Isaiah is reassuring his anxious and fearful listeners that God is near and he will bring justice and salvation. But I can imagine that it was pretty hard to hear for them, and it's also hard for hear to us in this cacophony of anxiety that surrounds us. Now, friends, as I said earlier, we could spend all day talking about what we're anxious about, but let's cut through the symptom of anxiety and see what's underneath it. I would say, as I've said already, that it's the desire to be, desire to be in control or attempting to be in control that makes us anxious. Consider this illustration. In 2017, a woman named Sarah Fader, a 37-year-old social media consultant in Brooklyn who has generalized anxiety disorder, texted a friend in Oregon about an impending visit. And when a quick response failed to materialize, she posted on Twitter to her 16,000-plus followers, I don't hear from my friend for a day, and my thought is, they don't want to be my friend anymore. She wrote a pending this with the hashtag, hashtag this is what anxiety feels like. They, uh, thousands of people were soon uh, offering up their own experiences and examples under this hashtag. Some were retweeted for over a thousand times. You might say that Ms. Fader struck a nerve. This is what she said. If you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Guys, we're all anxious. This is just one example. And Sarah's response to her friend's unresponsiveness was, what, is she, what was she doing there? She was trying to take control of this situation, this feeling of being unloved, this feeling of not being responded to, and explain it away. Well, they must not want to be my friends. This is trying to take control, and that creates even more anxiety. You can hear the fear, the, the loneliness, the isolation, ironically, from someone who had 16,000 followers. 
Now on one level, friends, this kind of feels insane, right? But on the other level, I totally get it. I'm sure you do too. Uh, if I don't get a response from a few texts within, you know, maybe 10, 30 seconds at most, I'm like, what is this? The ignore Ethan day? They, do all my friends conspire <laughs> to ignore my text today? I'm a bit of a narcissist if I really am honest. Maybe you are too. Our fear and anxiety is too much to bear. So we try to control. And, that, and this desire, this attempts and often failure to be in control drives us to more anxiety. It's this crazy circle. I want to be in control. I fail at being in control. I get more anxious. So then I try to take control again, and then I get more anxious again because I just failed to be in control. It's a loop. It's a loop that we're all in. Rebecca Pippert, uh, an author, relates a story about a famous uh, physicist who confided in her and said this. I'm a scientist and a rational person. I've never seen much need for God. All of my life, I've been in charge and in control. I've been extremely successful and made it to the top. If there's a problem at work, I call a meeting or, or write a note, and my secretary quickly resolves it. Yet nothing is simple or easily resolved at home. Friends, this really, this breaks my heart. My children, she says, don't relate to me easily. They accuse me of trying to control their lives. When I walk into the same room as my son, he starts to stammer. What hurts is that they can't seem to appreciate how much I care and that I'm doing all of this for them. But I'll tell you one lesson I've learned, she says. I, I always said that since I had my children's best interests in heart, they'd be glad for my direction. They'd be glad that I was trying to control their lives. My children have taught me the hardest lesson of my life, that I'm not in control over what matters to me most. It's funny, she says, but it's now when I see I'm not God and I, that I see I need the most help. I'm not God. For this person trying to be in control blinded her and made her deaf to what was really important in life. It made her controlling and anxious. Being in control led her to sin against her children. Being in control blinded her to God's existence and love. And it always will, friends. Because that's not what we were meant to be. We were not created to be God. And this is what waiting does to us. This is why it's so uncomfortable. Moments of waiting reveal that we are anxious and we doubt God and we try to be in control. This is what Isaiah calls in our passage being spiritually blind and deaf. But what if we stopped for a moment and we tried to push away a little of that discomfort and waiting? And we faced our anxiety, and we tried to resist the impulse of control. What if we listened to that still, small voice in the waiting and heard the voice of our Savior? To grow in patience, friends, which we are called to during this Advent time, we need to learn to wait. But to do that, to grow in patience, we must first be rescued from our gnawing doubt and our desire to be in control. We must be rescued from our pride. <clears throat> and Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, takes care of both of these. Let's consider 
how this is done. First, Jesus reveals himself and alleviates our doubt. How does Jesus do this? Well, in John, we see that um, he reveals to John that, or in, excuse me, in, the, in our gospel reading, he reveals to John that he is God incarnate, and he takes John's sufferings and makes it his own. Only God can do what Jesus was doing. When John's disciple comes and says, hey, Jesus, are you the one? What does he say? He tells him all these things that he's doing. And we know from Isaiah, and we know from other scripture passages, this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. And we also know only God can do these things. Only God can bring sight to the blind and make the lame walk and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and and preach the good news. Jesus is God. And friends, when you're doubting God's goodness, when we feel that gnawing sense of loneliness and despair, we can know that God is good because Jesus is the image and perfect likeness of God. He's the full revelation of God in the flesh. But John wasn't just doubting, he was also suffering. Doubt and suffering often go hand in hand. So what does Jesus say to our suffering when we wait? First, friends, we can take real comfort in the fact that Jesus waited and suffered too. He knows what it's like to be like us. He knows what it's like to experience that weight and that struggle, that discomfort, that anxiety, to be in pain. And second, Jesus set the world right by suffering and dying for us and on our behalf. He didn't just suffer with us. He suffered to conquer our suffering, to conquer our death. And that was the hope that John the Baptist had as he died, the hope of Jesus' death and resurrection. Second, Jesus relieves our anxiety by rescuing us from our pride. We see this in the turning point of, the, of Isaiah 5.35. This is what, it, what uh, Isaiah says. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Friends, we need to be saved. We need to be saved from our pride. We need to be saved from our arrogance. We need to be saved from that that itching desire to take control, to be in control. And that desire is what Jesus deals with. God in Jesus Christ takes the pride and uh, takes our pride and judges it on the cross. He puts to death our deranged desire to be God. And when he takes our pride, friends, he puts it to death and he gives us his life, his love. He gives us what we were created for. This is what the church fathers and the reformers called the great exchange. God takes our sin, takes all of our rottenness, and he gives us his life. And friends, to be more specific to our topic this morning, Jesus takes our pride, our impatience, and he gives us his patience. You don't have to gum up being patient because it's already yours in Jesus Christ. It's a gift given. Pride blinds us and makes us deaf to God, but Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection opens our eyes and unstops our ears so that we can have true life in him. Friends, if we surrender to Christ as our Lord and Savior, patiently waiting becomes possible and purposeful. Because of Jesus, because we are in Jesus, we can grow in patience. So how do we patiently wait for the return of Jesus? Three words in conclusion. We surrender, we pray, and we practice. 
Sorry, I couldn't find another P word. That was kind of lame, I know. <laughs> Friends, we, fr- we first, we must admit, we must say, I am prideful. I want to take control. And friends, I don't know about you guys, but this is like a daily thing, maybe an hourly thing. I want to take control of this. I want to take control of that. I want to make this work. Surrender. Say, I'm not in control, actually, God. I I recognize that. And then we pray. We pray to grow in patience. Now, friends, I've heard it said quite often in church, if you pray for patience, God's going to give you circumstances for patience. And maybe some people have insinuated you shouldn't pray for patience. Friends, I say to you, pray for patience. Take your faith and your life in Christ seriously and pray for it. We can, when, when we see this, when we realize that, we, that patience is a gift that God gives us through our daily life circumstances, every moment of waiting is a training ground for patience. It's a good thing. And with this perspective, we can actually practice patience. First, to do this, we, we ground our, we establish our hearts, as James says. And what he means by this is we establish our hearts in Jesus Christ by receiving and knowing that the patience that we're asking for is already given to us in Jesus. We are in Christ, and all that he has is ours through the power of the Holy Spirit. His patience, that infinite patience from beginning before the dawn of time, is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're impatient, we can pray, and God will give us the patience that we need. We establish our hearts in Christ. We look to the example of those who have gone before us. James commends to us the example of the prophets. Oh, man, guys, talk about waiting. We can see in the the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the, the author talks about how they waited and longed for the day that we've seen, and they didn't get it. Imagine waiting your whole life for something and not and having to just rely on the promise of God that it's st- and when it still hasn't arrived. That is patience. So we can look to their example. And we can imitate them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we can practice in a very specific way that uh, we see from the book of James, or from the, our passage from James. He says that we should not grumble, grumble against one another, and maybe implied in this is that we, a way to practice patience is truly forgiving each other. Christopher Wright makes this connection between patience and forgiveness when he says this. Forgiveness means that you make the effort to bear with other people, even when they irritate you or annoy you or worse. Forbearance is when you choose to forgive people rather than hold a grudge against them. Forbearance is when you choose to overlook something that was hurtful or unkind, rather than fighting back with harsh words or making sure you get even with the one who did you wrong. Friends, you want to talk about patience. Practicing forgiveness is the place where we talk. And we all need it, friends. Our world needs this forgiveness. And it can't start with the other guy. Oh, that guy needs forgiveness. He needs to learn how to be patient. It starts with us. It starts with those who have you, all of us, who are in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Friends, during Advent, we see the infinite active patience of God for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are given the opportunity to grow in his patience. Are you tired of doubt and being in control? Are you worn out by anxiety and fear? Come and receive the patience and assurance that is offered in Jesus Christ. As he says a little later in Matthew, 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you that in our time, in our age of anxiety and fear of doubt, you are patience. Thank you, you've given us your patience. Lord, thank you died and rose so that we could live in this anticipatory waiting for your second coming, Lord. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us yourself. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.